0: Welcome to Size and Whispers, an interview podcast series about cultural history. I am Laura Klaus Helms, a fashion and cultural historian. For the last few years, I've been recording this podcast under the name Ladies After Hours. After much thought during the pandemic, I've decided to rename it, starting afresh with a name that I actually have a long history with. Size and Whispers was my first blog, really my starting exploration of becoming a fashion and cultural historian, and it feels really right to return to that name now. I named it after a Bloomingdale's catalog that Guy Bredin photographed in 1976. I'll post some images from it on the new Instagram I've made, at Podcast. All of the previous Ladies After Hours episodes will be under Size and Whispers, as will all new episodes. That's across all podcast platforms and the new website and Instagram. I recorded this interview with Barbara Nessim a few months ago. An artist, teacher, creative visionary, Barbara is a completely inspiring soul a highly successful commercial artist for several decades. I became acquainted with her work just by going through old magazines. Her luscious line drawings and luminous colors seemed to leap from the page. In 2013, I happened to be in London while the Victorian Albert Museum was showing a retrospective of her work, Barbara Nessim and Artful Life, which introduced me to the many other facets of her creativity. The companion book to that exhibition is a truly wonderful exploration of Nessum's style, iconography, and work. I highly recommend it. Her work is instantly recognizable, whether from 1960 or today. Clarity of line and of color exemplify her work, which relies on a deeply intuitive and conceptual mythmaking. In our conversation, we delve deeply into her artistic path from childhood to college and how she made it as a commercial artist in the 1960s. In the 1980s, Barbara became an early pioneer in computer art, one of the few classically trained artists at the time who saw the value in wedding fine art with computer technology. We cover so much in this conversation, from the personal, her childhood in the Bronx in the 40s and 50s, through life as a single woman making her way in New York in the 60s and 70s, a later marriage and her decision not to have children, to the artistic, her inspirations, mentors, how she developed her style, technological innovations, and more. If you're an artist and or a woman, this conversation should be illuminating and inspiring. Enjoy. Everything good.
1: I'm all yours.
0: <laughs> I really, would love to talk to you about, you know, your life and work and creative process, and I'd love to start sort of at the beginning, your childhood and cultural upbringing.
1: Okay, my cultural upbringing, the Bronx. Yeah. You will hear it in my accent. <laughs> First and foremost, anytime I give a lecture anywhere. I tell them where I came from. So they understand this is a Bronx accent, beautiful Bronx accent, I may add. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a normal, whatever normal is house. My father was a postman. My mother was a blouse designer. I have two siblings younger than me, two and a half years. Uh, Twins, uh, boy and girl, twins. And we all slept in one room. So it was a very small apartment in the Bronx. And that's my beginning. Since my mother was a designer of clothing, that's probably where I got my artistic talent from. And she encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. And I went to an art high school and an art uh, college, Pratt Institute. And I just knew what I wanted to do when I got out of school. I was just like very, very directed. And even when I was in school, I started getting work to -hmm. do, freelance work. So as soon as I got out of school, I started getting work right away. And I also uh, entered the uh, Society of Illustrators show. And, And that was the second show that they had And I won an award, which I couldn't believe. So that kind of catapulted me right into the industry. And I did well all all through my career as an illustrator, but really I'm not really an illustrator. I'm really a fine artist, but really trying hard was trying hard to be an illustrator. So because my work is so unusual, I influence a lot of illustrators, and I was trying to be commercial. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so that that my particular style, uh, I I think had a major influence on the uh, the path of illustration and where it went and wh- where it's. I don't know what it is now. I haven't done an illustration in probably twenty years, twenty five years, but. At the beginning it was uh, very distinctive and it always has been distinctive in every decade but all the time that i was doing illustration i was always doing work for myself so i would do one for me and one for them four for me one for them 20 for me one for them so i have a whole lot of illust- a whole lot of uh fine artwork along with the time that i was doing illustration so the artwork that I did for myself influenced what I did for illustration. So it always evolved into something different. Mm
0: -hmm. You said your mother was a blouse designer. Did she teach you to draw or did you just learn by watching her?
1: She really didn't know how to draw and she started designing when she was 14 and she was an immigrant from, she was born in Alexandria, Egypt and uh, came over when she was 10 years old. So she had to learn how to speak the language and everything else. She was the oldest of six children and very beautiful, very, very good looking woman. So at a very early age, she started working. And I would say that she became a really good designer like maybe when she was 20, 20, you know, really early in Mm -hmm. life and supported her family, actually. I never saw her, I know she didn't really know how to draw, but she could do a blouse croaky, which was Mm -hmm. what it was called, you know, get her ideas across. And she was the only designer that she knew that only worked four days a week, but got the salary for a -a five-day-a-week job. But she also had three kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she had a busy life. And also in that small little apartment, we had a full time housekeeper. Wow. We all lived very happily together. <laughs> you know, life was very friendly. You, you, nobody locked their doors, all doors were always open. You were in everybody else's apartment. It was one big happy family, basically. And I would think that every apartment building was kind of like that. That's what they had, six-story apartment buildings. And in our apartment building, there was 88 apartments. So you never had to go anywhere for friends because your friend would live next door and there was another friend there and one on the fifth floor. And so it was a very tight-knit community. Mm
0: -hmm. Were your parents supportive of your artistic dreams and goals?
1: Uh, Yes. Well, my mother basically my father would have liked me to have gotten married because he that's what everybody did every young girl got married and you had to be engaged and show your ring at 19 and at 22 you got married and that was like not me and i knew very early in life that a i wasn't going to get married and b i was not going to have children and i stated that clearly to my parents Then, you know, they thought, ah, I had plenty of boyfriends. So I don't know, you know, it was, um, I just knew that I wanted to have a career before I got married. I figured, oh, probably eight years, maybe uh, 28, 30, that already sounded ancient, but that's okay. But that's the only thing I could think of. I needed to have a career and support myself before I even thought about getting married. So at 40 years old, I got married.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was that independence in any way influenced by your mother being a working woman? Uh, No,
1: I think that it was just me. I think it was, you know, my mother was married. Yeah. So wasn't, you know, uh, everybody I know got married except me. And most of them are divorced. (laughs) yeah that's
0: what happens yeah.
1: often yeah well it's it the thing is is that nobody had a chance to explore who they were mm-hmm. you know, and everybody expected that that's how life was gonna be. You got married, you stayed home, you went shopping, you make dinner for the kids that you just had that wasn't I knew that that was not what I wanted. I wanted to be an independent artist making a living, doing art but I started picking up jobs, I would say the summer before I was a senior in college, but mm-hmm. it wasn't illustration. It was illustration jobs, but I would look in the New York times. Then you could look in the New York times and you could see all the jobs that were listed for artists. And I got a job as a handbag, drawing handbags, uh, $5 a handbag. Wow. That was good. Let me tell you <laughs> because you made $50 a week. If you went, once you got a job, you, While I was in college, I got a job every summer, Mm -hmm. and I know that uh, you either made $35 a week or to $50 a week, and I made in between that. And so I kind of paid my college tuition with that because it wasn't very much. I mean, I think when I started, college tuition was like $250 a semester, and uh, by the time I got out of school, it was about $400 a semester, so... You, you could pretty much figure it out. My mother did her work and helped. My father didn't want to pay for my college because he did not want me to go to college. He thought I would be too smart and no one would want to marry me. Hmm. And that was not what he was looking for for his daughter. <laughs> but I promised my father, Dad, don't worry about me. I'm going to get married one day,
0: but not soon. <laughs> I mean, I guess once you graduated, how did you start making your, finding your way in the world of arts?
1: Uh, Bringing my work around. Then you could take your portfolio and you Mm -hmm. go from art director, you make phone calls and you um, met art directors. By the way, there were very few female art directors, Mm -hmm. but I never was aware of that and very few female illustrators. I didn't know that either. So I had a, a friend who was uh, I went to school with, high school and college with. And she became one of the first women art directors at Doyle, Dane, and Burnback, which was the premier uh, agency at the time. They, did, uh, they had a very big page, just as an example, a very big page in the New York Times and a tiny, tiny little Volkswagen in the middle. And it said "Think small" in big letters, <laughs> because Volkswagen was just coming into the market. And, you know, it traveled fifty miles on a gallon. It was a tiny little thing; you could park it anywhere. So, they did very clever advertising. And she got a job there, and I was one of the first female illustrators. And I got the award at the Society of Illustrators. I mean. And every year I would get into the Society of Illustrators shows. So I, I made my mark very early in life. And that's how I started. And I started getting jobs. And I also worked as a textile designer three days a week. So I could pay my rent and pay, pay every, I knew I was going to get some kind of steady income. And then on the weekends I would do whatever job I got. I was lucky enough to get a job, but during the week, the weeks, the days that I wasn't working, the two days that I wasn't working as a textile designer, I would be going, taking my portfolio around to see art directors. And it was very friendly. And and as Jerry Schatzberg was talking about, you know, they, the photographers at that time had big parties all the time. I mean, like huge, humongous parties. So you would meet other art directors at these parties and other photographers and other illustrators and so it was fun. It was really fun.
0: Sounds like it.
1: Yeah, it was. It was great.
0: Had you already started to evolve your own sort of style by that point? Did you really feel like I had my fun? style
1: from day one.
0: And that style
1: kept evolving. And I would say my style is different in every decade. But it is always always identifiable as what my style is. And most artists, if you think about it, they have their one style and they keep doing that one thing and you recognize it right away. I have many different ways of expressing myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: artistically and every single one of those ways is original and not like anything you've seen before. So my work kept in reinventing itself. So it was never stuck in, oh, that old thing. You know, It was always like, oh, something new. I mean, to me too. Yeah. I, I couldn't do what I did yesterday. I'd have to do something new for the next day.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like one of the things that, at least for that, I've always thought about your work is there's this really definite line, you know, beautiful line through your work. And Thank you. I've come across illustrations that I immediately recognize are yours in magazines that I wouldn't have expected sort of, I've got, I collect magazines. So I've got issues of Redbook and I've turned the pages and there's like a sort of a family doing normal things, but it's got that same line and color, you know, palette. Right. And
1: I would say that the things I did for Redbook were the best paying jobs that I got besides any job I was lucky enough to get for an advertising agency. Mm -hmm. And that was the most commercial I could twist myself into being. Mm-hmm. the most, I mean, I I, I I couldn't make myself more commercial than that, but it, it, they weren't really commercial.
0: Did art directors or anyone sort of ever try to sort of pigeonhole you into just being an illustrator or just a fine artist? Or? You,
1: what was interesting about art directors asking me to work for them was because they had no idea of what they wanted. So they would come to me when they were totally blank and just put it in front of me and just say, okay, what, what what do you think you'd like to do? And I would do like six or seven sketches and bring it in and we would talk about it and they would choose one and they would show their editor and show their their the writer or show whoever they had to satisfy. And uh, really nobody tried to pigeonhole me because it, that would have been impossible. I don't think I could be, I don't think I could do a job like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they were looking, usually they didn't have an idea. But most art directors have a specific idea that they want. They go to this illustrator because they know that they're going to get this from this illustrator. Very, very uh, predictable. Mm-hmm. But with me, they had no idea what they were going to get. And neither did I. <laughs> I didn't know myself either.
0: How many different sort of sketches would you put into work, either commercial work or sort of your own work?
1: As I said, I always did work for myself. Mm -hmm. So whatever the work I did for myself, I used that as an inspiration to do my illustration. So that's why my illustration looks so original, because it came from a fine art base. Mm -hmm. It didn't come from looking at somebody's work And thinking, oh, I like that style. I think I could like that style, but I'm not going to do that style or I'm not even going to come close to that. I'm going to do my own work and use that work. And by this time I had piles of drawings. Do this. This is where I get my ideas from. So I I had a story about this and that and this and that. And I would look and say, oh, I could use this. I could use this one. And I would take maybe six or seven, drawings that I had done and use those as the basis for my sketches. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't show those drawings to art directors, but I would use them as the basis for my sketches and then they would choose from that. So from those works that I did for myself, I would try and make them commercial. When I say commercial, my work was never commercial. It, it I would try and make it usable for them and have them see like, It was always hard for me to draw a pretty face, but I finally, after about six or seven years, I kind of managed to get to a pretty face. So as long as I had somebody who looked okay in the illustration, it kind of smoothed over all the other decorative or
0: weird things that might be happening. Well, I think that's part of the reason they stand out in the mag when you're flicking through some of these old magazines is because they weren't as commercially, yeah, pretty, you know, pretty yeah. and as some of the other illustrations you yeah. see in ma- magazines from that period. Well, I'm
1: not really an illustrator. Yeah, th- th- that's really what it is, mm-hmm. and you know, some people have said, you know, you're not really an illustrator, and I would say. Yes, I am. (laughs) I'm here looking for a job and I'd love you to give me one, you know. But I I actually tried to deny the fact that I was a fine artist just because I didn't want to starve and suffer is what fine artists did or live off. I didn't have uh, uh, whatever they call it, a fund that your parents Mm -hmm. leave you (laughs) to to live off of. I think most, most people who independent you know had trust funds that's what you call them like I didn't even know what a trust fund was and I couldn't imagine because I used to love to go dancing and we'd go out dancing in the evenings you know to discos and things like parties and things like that and I couldn't imagine how everybody stayed up so late when they had to go to work the next day but nobody went to work the next day so but I didn't know that. I didn't know that until maybe 20 years later, that people had trust funds. Trust funds. I didn't, What's that?
0: And back at that time, you were living with Gloria Steinem, right? Or- I
1: started living with Gloria around 1962 mm-hmm. to 1967. And the way we met, we were going out with art directors that were best friends. And I was going out with a man named Henry Wolfe, and His assistant was Robert Benton, Mm -hmm. and she was going out with Robert Benton, and we would have dinner together all the time. And one day she said, "I, I, I was living at home for a long time, and then my sister wanted to move out, and she kept bugging me to move out. So we moved out, and we got one room together. And after four months, my sister didn't want to live with me anymore. She wanted to go back home. And I thought, okay, <laughs> now I'm out and I have an apartment and what am I gonna do? And I was explaining to my friends, Gloria and Bob and Henry, like, uh-oh, my sister's leaving. And Gloria said, oh, I'll, let's live together. I'll, can I live with you? And I said, sure, come on over. And cause her lease was up on her apartment and she, that's when we started living together. And then we found a place and that apartment wasn't really right for two people actually. Mm-hmm. And then we found a a place on 56th Street, 22 West 56th Street, which is no longer there. And that was a perfect apartment for us. We lived there for six years, or five years together. Very, very separate. It was very interesting the way we lived together. And then we moved to 71st Street to two rooms, two big rooms, where she actually lives now still, but she got the that apartment and the one underneath and then made a staircase going down but we lived there for another year until an old boyfriend of mine uh, was selling his lease and I thought you know I think I'm going to take his lease and I moved to his apartment on 15th street and that's when I moved out Mm -hmm. because by that time I was 28 it was time for me to live alone and you know and Gloria and Gloria and I were our Five years apart, mm-hmm. so that was another big difference between us. Because when you now it's like no, no time, but then when you're young, I had very different interests than she had. She was always political, and for me, I thought politicians all lied, so there was no reason to even believe them. Whatever they said, I was a Democrat, and I vote Democrat, and that's it. I'm not a Republican. I'm a Democrat, and. Um, That was about as much interest as I had in politics because I just didn't, but she was always interested in politics. And the women's movement came up after I moved out, like in 1972, but I moved Mm -hmm. out in 68. When we finally got to the two rooms, (laughs) we built a, in the living room part, it was a floor through and a brownstone. So we had a bedroom, bedroom work room in the back. And then a, a little hallway into the bathroom, which we had two closets on either side. And then we had a, a vestibule where you walked in in the middle, a little kitchen off the vestibule. None of us cooked. So we always went out to dinner or we had boyfriends or whatever. And then the big living room that we had, we built a, because it was a parlor floor and mm-hmm. it was about 22 store feet high. We built a, uh, a not a balcony, but a sleeping balcony mm-hmm. where... Whoever got tired first after we were working in the same room, went to sleep in the uh, balcony, because we didn't even have our own beds. We had a day bed in the room that we worked in, and the balcony. So if I got tired, I would just go up and sleep in the balcony, or if she got tired, she would go up and sleep, and then I slept in the other room. So we didn't really have normal beds, nor did we have that was our sleeping arrangement. It was interesting. Yeah, it worked out great. Yes, yeah. you know, some people think, "Oh, that's crazy!" You didn't even have your own bed. No, <laughs> it's just like we were clean. We were okay. <laughs> we just slept when we were tired. Mm-hmm. We have I guess we have similar personalities and the way we like to live. We don't. We're not. We are we we are born like five days away five years apart and five days apart. Her birthday's March 25th, mine's March 30th. And we're very similar in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I think for a lot of people that would be a difficult sort of live work situation. But, um, you know, I think if you make it, if it works, it's amazing. And to have, and also to still have that friendship is also sort of incredible over this many decades. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because we never really, we were both very independent. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So we weren't dependent upon each other. Uh, We were both, you know, very strong individuals.
0: Aries. Yes. Very Aries. (laughs) Both of us. That sort of lines up with one of the things I sort of noticed through reading your book was that you've always seemed to have such self-confidence about your work and about your vision for your career and your work. Do you did you always have that it was it just sort of innate 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 totally
1: innate I always knew well I didn't always know my work was really good all I know is that was all that was all I could do mm-hmm. so now at 81 I know my work is really good but I didn't have that that knowledge I wouldn't say confidence because I always had confidence it was the knowledge of where my work even st- and the time and other people and whatever. I never looked at other people's work to get ideas from. I would look at my work to get ideas from, but not other people's work, where that was very unusual for an illustrator. The only time I would look at something different is if I had to draw a 17th century chair. Like I have no idea what that looks like. I would go to the library and look it up and see what it looked like. And then I could use that to copy what a 17th century chair looked like. Mm -hmm. But that would be the only reason I would look at, go to the the picture collection in the library.
0: Have have there ever been moments where that confidence or knowledge faltered?
1: Not really. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I never made a lot of money, uh, illustrating because I was never really that popular as an illustrator because I wasn't really an illustrator but I made I eked out a living from all the different things I sh- designed clothes I designed shoes I designed you, t- you you had something for me I'll take it <laughs> I'll do I can do that you know if if, if if it was just something that I thought I could do I went for it like uh, because I did these crazy shoe drawings yes. Somebody called me up and asked me if I wanted to design shoes for a company. So I said, sure, why not? I've never designed shoes for a company. This man, Carl of Carber Shoes, Carl and Bernard, Carber, Carber Bernard, very original. They did these, um, they had a shoe company and they had a shoe store in back of Lord and Taylor. I designed shoes for them. They invited me to Italy. And I was there six weeks, and I learned how to design shoes. I designed 100 pairs of shoes in 15 days, Mm -hmm. even though I was there for six weeks, because it was was Christmas. And in Italy, there's a lot of holidays. So I had a great time in Italy. 15 days, I designed 100 pairs of shoes. They had a great party and a great showing of my shoes, and everybody was really interested in what I was doing. But it was not really what I was really interested in doing. So even though I could have continued designing shoes. I, I never pursued that part of it because it was like, okay, I designed, I did my, I did my illustrations, which was one step removed from my own art. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I tried to get a gallery early on. But as soon as I started going to galleries, I would get kind of like rejected in a way. not rejected for my work, but I didn't know exactly why. And one of the men who I went to see in a a gallery, I think it was called the Stempley Gallery, but I'm not sure about that. And he said, look, Barbara, I think your work is great. And how old are you? And I was about 27, 28 at the time. And yeah, I looked fine, you know, heels, I always wore heels. And uh, I always made my own clothes. I always looked really good, it's not like an artist. <laughs> and he said, look at you, people are going to look at you and they're going to think in two years, you're going to get married and have kids and not be painting anymore. And I thought about that. And he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's what people are going to look at you and think. And I knew that that wasn't going to happen. But I, me saying it and me doing it are two different things. So that's when I really started getting interested in illustration mm-hmm. because that's when I knew I could see that, I could see that. And I thanked him for telling me that because that really opened my eyes because I thought it was just if you're good, you get, you get recognized. But that, that's, that wasn't how it was working then. There were so few women artists too. And if there were women artists, they were either married to very famous people or they came from rich families.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was the same thing. So I thought, okay, I get it, thank you. Uh, I still work for myself because I couldn't do anything else anyway. So I, I, I really started getting serious about doing illustration and uh, still doing work for myself, but I didn't waste my time trying to get a gallery at that point, because there, there was no point in it, I could see what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a hunchback, I didn't look horrible, <laughs> I looked decent. It makes a lot of sense. My, my experience, it was interesting.
0: In like 67,
1: you started teaching as well? Yeah, that was another thing. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was interesting also, because Bob Giraldi, who is um, a director, he did the first Michael Jackson video,
0: uh,
1: music video. He was in my class in Pratt, and he was head of the uh, art department at School of Visual Arts, and he had illustration and uh, uh, advertising under his wings. And he asked. By that time, I was ready, pretty established illustrator, and people really liked my work. And he wanted me to uh, come in and teach. There weren't and there was one other woman teacher there, 1967. And she was married to a photographer. Uh, she was a photographer too, but she was married to a photographer who was teaching there. But I was like a single woman, not married to anybody, and being asked to teach there. And so he wanted to hire me. But Silas Rhodes, who was the head of the school, he said to Bob, look at her, nobody's gonna pay any attention to her because by that time, 1967, 68, mini skirts were the thing. Everybody was out dancing and wearing mini skirts and I was there too, long hair like yours, you know, all whatever. And nobody will pay any attention to her. She can't teach here. And Bob said, I'm hiring her and if I can't hire her, then I'm going to leave. He goes, okay, you can hire her. So that's my first job. And I had one illustration class and it was so successful. I had a second one and then I had a third one. So I, that was a way to supplement my income and I stopped doing textile design at that point. So I still had some kind of steady income over the years. <clears throat> Plus my illustration, and I could put a roof over my head.
0: Mm-hmm. And you kept teaching for decades, right?
1: Yeah, I I taught uh, I, I taught there. I taught one class at FIT, one class at uh, Pratt, and one class at SVA. And but uh, over the years, uh, I, SVA I taught the longest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: FIT I taught for ten years. 18 years. And at Pratt, I taught for 10 years. And the only reason I left Pratt was because it was, I had to ride the subway to get there. And it was a little bit dicey in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was feeling like I'm pushing my luck before I get mugged on the subway. Yeah. So I think maybe I should stop teaching here. And so I, I took another class someplace, you know, either at FIT or at, at uh, SVA. Mm-hmm. But my classes from the day school and then I taught at the night school they were very much in demand because uh, I'm a good teacher and I enjoy teaching and I enjoy having kids come out and learn and find out who they are not to copy me Mm -hmm. and it, it was just very successful I still know a lot of the students that I had. So over the years, I had so many students.
0: Did you learn more about your own work by teaching or just, did you just enjoy? No, just because, enjoy teaching. Mm-hmm. I always knew my own work. Uh,
1: I had, my own work was my own work. <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't learn more about myself by teaching, but I did enjoy it. And I did enjoy, what I really enjoyed the most is when uh, I, I found a really talented student and they blossomed because I let them be them Mm -hmm. and they found out who they were because that their job is to find out who they are not to copy me where a lot of teachers not many but a lot uh would have people imitate their work or I don't know or uh, it just wasn't creative in the sense that you were really making people look inside themselves to find out who they are Mm -hmm. through whatever assignment i would give them and i had unique ways of bringing people out and was very successful and it was fun like the time three hours went like that and i never gave a break in the class because that i said okay just going to let you out 20 minutes early or 15 minutes early there's no break here. If you have to go to the bathroom, get up and go. <laughs> but we're just gonna go right through the class and you can leave 15 minutes early and that's it.
0: It seems like you also early I mean, early on for the arts got into technology and computers I and did. everything. And how did that interest come about?
1: Yeah, I like your cat by the way. <laughs> yeah.
0: Nineteen eighty. I was asked to go up to
1: MIT to learn how to use art and the computer, to do art on a computer. And when I was asked to do that, I thought, art on a computer? I mean, I think of a computer as paying my electric bill or, you know, having nothing to do with art. So I thought, hmm, computers and art? Hmm, hmm. And I just got married in 1980. I was 41 by that time. And my husband had two girls that lived with us and uh we brought them up pretty much they were 11 and 15 when i got them and i thought okay um hmm yeah that sounds interesting yes 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 i'm coming i don't know when i'm but i'm coming and the guy would keep asking me every three months or whatever when am i when am I coming up? And I would just say, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to be up there soon. I don't know exactly when. So that lasted for about a year. But I said, there must be computers in New York because nobody had computers. There must be. And I would ask everyone before saying hello, so Laura, what do you know about computers and art? Computers and art? And I would get like this blank stare, like no one Knew anything about computers and art. I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Two years I looked for computers. Finally, there was a secret enclave up at Time Incorporated, the 50, 51st floor. The whole floor was devoted to computers. And people had uh, Time Incorporated had this little, little co- covert Thing called TVIS, Time Video Information Services, it was sort of like pre-internet. This is like 1982 now, and they invited me up there to be an artist. They wanted they wanted to hire me. I don't want a job. I, you know, I don't. The job isn't for me. But could I learn how to use the computer here? So they invited me up to be the artist in residence. And I worked, and but I could only work from 5 o'clock at night to 9 in the morning. So I would go up 5 o'clock at night, and it would work till about 11. And then they would give me a black car. I had a slip, and I could go home. So I didn't have to travel the subway so late at night. Mm-hmm. And that worked out perfectly. I taught myself how to use their computer with the book, the manual. There were nice people. It was a 24-hour uh thing because it was a new service it was kind of like pre-internet it was a new service they had subscribers subscribers 800 subscribers in florida it was it was a monitor mm-hmm. and another monitor two monitors and they they had a desk and then they had like where you have the drawers coming out of the desk that was the computer Got it. so it wasn't like one of those big ones with the you know mm-hmm. that you saw with ibm yeah that, that was already that's what i thought a computer was the IBM computers that you saw, the banks of computers. Mm -hmm. So this was a room that they had lots of desks and they had computer screens, very much like what it looks like today, except the computers weren't skinny. It was long in the back Mm -hmm. because they were big monitors that that were uh, big. But it was very interesting because in order to, to do the art on the computer, we couldn't just draw it. We had to use... Uh, drawing modes, like I could do, I had a circle, a rectangle, uh, a line, a dot, a polygon, and and we have six drawing modes, six colors, six um, uh, black and white patterns. You know, just, we had like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I found that fascinating because even though I couldn't draw, even though I love drawing, I had to use these blocks in order to get what I wanted. There's a section in the book. We had all those colorful drawings in there. Those are all done on those IPS Information Provider Service. Two was the second of Norpac. Those computers and they came from Canada, and I taught myself. And it was just fascinating. And I loved what I was doing. Everybody loved what I was doing. I was like the archangel, because I did everything with arcs. And uh, from there, I went to another uh, Commodore had computers. And so then I, st- oh, and I wasn't allowed to tell anybody what I was doing for two years. I couldn't tell anyone I was working with computers, or anyone that I was up In their offices, so it was really secret and finally they decided they couldn't make a living at this you know they didn't know how to monetize this operation and they decided to shut down, so I went up one night, and this very nice guy who was up there, Steve Forbes, said, Barbara, they're shutting down. He said, I think you can make a little video of all the things you did and I'll help you do it. So I was typing every picture I had in. It was pretty complicated. I stayed up pretty much at two o'clock in the morning there. And I made this little video, 14 minute video of all my drawings and, uh, and they shut down the next day. So uh, it, it was, interesting but from there i went to commodore and then i went to another company and then, and then finally in 1984 apple came on the scene meanwhile ibm had nothing to do with this cuz everybody thought that computer art was a fad mm-hmm. and that computers were a fad personal computing was definitely a fad and no one was interested in it isn't that amazing mm-hmm. i mean can you it's that to me I said, "Well, I can tell you one thing: you will be using a computer." Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Not, not me, not me. I'll never use a computer. Okay. (laughs) Famous last words. You know, it's it. It just was really interesting to see how many people were resistant Mm -hmm. to using a computer, and how long—ten years, Laura. Ten long years. It took for people to kind of
0: get. Maybe this isn't a fad. Even the, early, like the drawing pro programs, the art programs I remember from like the early 90s weren't very good. They There wasn't like choral draw and everything. They really hadn't, you know, put, it didn't feel like they'd, you know, saw it as something worth putting a lot of time and effort into. Yeah, know?
1: well, the 10 years, you know, I mean, that now 1990, I saw it in 1982. Now we're into 1992. That's when I got my job at Pratt mm-hmm. in 1991, 1992, as a, uh, the chair of the illustration department. And there, when I got the, the uh, chair position, I didn't even want the chair position. I just thought, ah, eh, i am apply for And I didn't apply for it. They asked me to to apply for the job. And I said, oh, OK. I didn't think I'd ever get the job, but I didn't even want a job. I was fine on my own. And when they offered me the job, I thought, oh, my God, I got this job. Nine months, they interviewed like 100 people. and Because I'd never had a job before. I never had million-dollar budgets like an art director would have in a magazine or whatever. It was just like me. And when they offered me the job, I said, oh, my God, I got the job. And so I was like so silent for like maybe a long minute. The guy said, you want the job, don't you?" And I thought, I said, to be honest, (laughs) I never thought I would get this job. I said, I don't know when I'm gonna do this job. I am so busy as an artist. I said, but it sounds interesting, I'll take the job. He said, well, you can only work three days a week. That would be fine. Every other chair worked four days a week. You can work three days a week. I said, okay, uh, three days a week, I guess I could do that. And so I took the job. And I said, oh, don't hire me unless you're thinking about buying computers. There were no computers there. I said, because you're not going to have a school unless you get computers. Oh, that's why we want you, because we know that you know about computers. And I said, okay, all right. A year later, there's still no computers. Meanwhile, I'm revamping the whole department okay i go to a christmas party and everybody's there and i'm saying you know to my chair chuck when are we going to get computers he goes don't ask me ask him the president of the school i said okay i waited till this party was over and then it was just me and the president he goes, so Barbara, this is a man named Jonathan Fenton. So Barbara, how are you doing in your first year here? I said, oh, Jonathan, not that well. It, what, it's not very good. Really? Nobody ever said, Everyone oh, just fine. Thank you very much. It's really bad. And he, he couldn't believe I was saying this to him. He said, what do you mean? I said, Jonathan, you're not going to have a school unless you get computers. The silence. He just looked at me. He said, come here. We go to the phone, calls the provost and then Judith. Judith, I'm here with Barbara Nessum. And she said, we're not gonna have a school unless we get computers. I think you need to talk to her. Next morning, I have a, a, an interview with Judith go to breakfast, lunch wasn't, I wasn't important enough for lunch. (laughs) This is breakfast. So I think, what am I gonna do to make them understand that they need computers? So I got the New York Times job section. I had the Sunday New York Times job section. I looked through all the New York Times job section and I circled everything in green with that you needed computers. And everything in red that you didn't need computers. That was in the art section. So it looked like a field of poppies. Very few poppies, though, in this field of green. So she said, so, Barbara, I I hear you think we need computers. Uh, What what is, tell me a little bit about it. And So I go down and I get my, my paper, my newspaper. I open it up and I put it in front of her facing her and i said judith if you're paying twenty thousand dollars a year that's how much it costs then for your child to go to school and get an edu- education are you going to send your child to a school that you can get a job or that you can't get a job more silence So she looks at the paper. I said, all these green things are jobs that you need computers for. These red ones you don't need computers for. Your whole school is going to compete for those two jobs in this New York Times. Oh, can I have this paper? Be my guest. It is yours. We got computers. And not only did we get computers, but the whole school... They got a building for computers, the whole thing. And the, everybody was so happy that I came into the school because finally, no, they wouldn't listen to anybody. But wow. I had to think about how how can I prove to them that they need to know how to, how to that they need computers. Mm-hmm. That's my teaching career. And then I was there for 12 years. I loved it, being the chair. I completely reorganized everything. Uh, and then I was 65. <laughs> I got the job at 50 and or 52, something like that. And at 65, I thought, not that I cared whether I was 65 or not, but enough for, oh, enough, the three days a week, I was there five days a week. Not only was I there five days a week, but I had three major shows. I went traveling all over. I did so many things in that even though I had a full-time job. Mm-hmm. I had 33 teachers, 200 students. It was great. I enjoyed it. And I got everything done and I still did my own work. Wow. It was a wow. I still yeah. don't know how I did it. <laughs> and it didn't seem like a big effort.
0: Impressive. So that's
1: my teaching career.
0: What was the reaction when you first started showing your computer artwork to people?
1: Revolutionary, I would say. I didn't show... Uh, I did. Well, it took a while. You know, it took ten years before I I had a big show in Soho. I had this uh, little mini books that I was making. That I had a a, a, had f- a friend named Tony Longson, who wrote a program for me to make these little mini books because I'm do my sketchbooks, and I wanted to have something with the computer, with uh, in in this. Um, show that people could actually make themselves a little book and take home a work of art, original work of art. So every book was different.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was a really, and it still is today. Nobody's done anything like it. I had computer work on the walls. And I had these, this setup where I had computers and you could make your own little mini book. And I had people showing them how to make a book. And I had a librarian once saying, oh, my goodness, I'm a librarian. And I never really knew how a book was made. You know, They had to cut it themselves. They stapled it together. And it was really fun. It was a very interactive show. And th- that was the first time I showed my computer work.
0: And that was random access memories, right?
1: Right, exactly. And that was a really interesting show, and uh, and I was telling Char here, my assistant, uh, that they were. It was the, my first show was in this huge eight thousand square foot space. That's big, and it was in Soho. I sent out probably. 900 invitations. And on every invitation I sort of wrote a little something because I would see somebody's name and I'd say, "Oh, I haven't seen them in such a long time." And I would write, "How's your daughter? Or, How's your brother? whatever." And I would write everybody a little note just because I felt like. So the the there were about 8 doors coming into this big 8,000 square foot space. And we had a table filled with wine. And my the guy said, do you think that's an enough wine? I said, oh, plenty. There won't be that many people here. In They opened those doors. And in the street, you cars couldn't pass. There were so many people in the street. In five minutes, the place was filled with people. People thought I did not come to my own opening. They couldn't find me. That's how many people there were. And... I was like amazed, amazed that there were so many people who came. That was really my first big show Mm -hmm. in in a gallery. And it was pretty amazing because it was the first time people really knew or saw computer art or really understood. They didn't really understand what it was. So I was working on a Macintosh, you know, small little Mac, Mm -hmm. uh, Mac Plus It was just interesting, the whole thing. Then by the time I had the show, I had like monitors, actual monitors. But just to devise that random access memories, the little books, which are in the book. You see these little books. And everybody could print out their own work and their own book. And no two books are the same. Every book was different. And they were numbered. And which which is really interesting, because still today, nobody's done anything, at least not to my knowledge, Mm -hmm. anything like that. That would be amazing to do again. I I actually had Tony, I hired him, I think 2014 to redo the program for these Macs. And he did. And I'm so glad I did because he just passed away like Mm -hmm. last week. So I, I have an updated program that we could work on. I was thinking about having it at one of my shows. I don't know which one, or if, I really, if it really fits into what I'm doing. I'm, I'm glad that I had to update the program because it's, uh, it's still unique. And I will be having a show at the Mallon Gallery in the Chelsea 515 West 29th Street, and it opens virtually on March 11th.
0: What work are you showing at this exhibition?
1: I actually have three shows in one place, because this is also a very large space. It's 6,000 square feet, maybe even 8,000. It's multi, the two levels. And I'm going to be showing 14 paintings that I recently did called The Women in My Life. And I spell women, W-O slash M-E-N to encompass all women and men. Women and men. The women in my life. Because there's so much transitioning going on now. Men thinking that they're women really, you know, Mm -hmm. and women thinking that they're men and they're all getting sex changes and they're transitioning into whatever or who they think that they were born to be. And it's amazing to me how many people Are fitting into that, you know, who feel free enough Mm -hmm. and allowed to express how they really feel. That's the women in my life. And now 14 oil paintings that are six feet by four feet. Then I'm going to be showing who we will be, which is something I did in 1976 to 78. And they're a series of portraits. And the premise behind these portraits are as if all the people in the world procreated, mm-hmm. all the people in the world procreated together en mass. this is the child that would be born, of kind of a genetic synthesis, mm-hmm. like all the genes mixing together. This I did 50 years ago, and that's exactly what's happening now. Black, white, just yeah. totally mixing. If you look at television, and you can't see a commercial without a black man and a white woman. It's everywhere. It's just all going to be one big mess of color, and that's 50 years. That's the second show, who we will be. And Gloria named these shows for me. And then the third show will be called Souls, Souls. They're fanciful shoes that are made out of ceramic, and they're about life-size, you know, that big. And they'll be shown either on pedestals or maybe on a shelf. I don't know how we're going to show them. Have you done oil paintings before? Yeah, oh, okay. I have. You know why I don't do oil paintings? Because there's no place to put them. <laughs> they're this thick, they're two, inch, two and a half inches thick. What am I gonna do with that two and a half inches? Where am I gonna put them?
0: And they take forever to dry, yeah, they're
1: kind of- Yeah, drawing, it, put slip in a drawer. Mm-hmm. You know, this big, you know, oh, really nice. So you know, yeah, I've done oil painting. I did lots of oil painting, but where am I going to put it? Mm-hmm. I also, I I mean, there's, there's oil paintings out there of mine. I have no idea who has them because I was doing oil painting and I didn't, Gloria and I lived in one room together. <laughs> where am I going to put them? Mm-hmm. We had clothes <laughs> and shoes. This is no place to put anything. So mm-hmm. I did them, but Then I decided, forget this, I'm just going to do drawings. Mm -hmm. A little thin piece of paper here, no problem. The only reason I'm doing oil paintings is I have an opportunity to sell them. Mm -hmm. And I've already sold three, and with Mm -hmm. two more that I know that people are going to buy once they're hanging.
0: I watched the video you mentioned before, the face-to-face, the computer one, which is amazing. And it made me wonder if you've ever had done any animation or had ever wanted to do any animation i've I've done animation before
1: uh, but animation's extremely excruciatingly Mm time-consuming that wasn't time-consuming because the computer did the animation because that's how you did the work it built up like that uh you started with a a polygon or uh, an arc or whatever you could fill it or not fill it through the color and as that as that thing is, that's how the work built up. So it was an animation that took care of itself, but mm-hmm. I've done commercial animations and I, to me, it's, I, I like more spontaneous things, fast, you know, I like a fast drawing, a fast, you know, animations too slow. I only want you to speak slow, but I don't want to do
0: slow things. How, when you were doing the putting together this book, and also the show at the v how did it feel going back over your whole career, sort of revisiting everything?
1: The book evolved. It wasn't really, it didn't start out to be a book. It started out to be something small. But as it was, <laughs> as we were adding on to things, it started growing, and it ended up being a book. So, uh, and my daughter, Annie Demchik, who designed the book, that's one of the girls that I inherited at 15, when I got married, Uh, um, she's the one who designed the book. And if it wasn't for her, and we did the book maybe in 20 days, it was an amazing effort. Like day and night we worked on this book because uh, we, we were working on a book but I didn't have a show and then the show from the Vna was going to happen and it was actually going to happen in three years from that from the time and then he called me up and said do you think you could have the show in six months six months oh I don't know that but we had to really yeah okay we can have the show in six months so we had to really work on the book in order to have it ready for the show and it was just ready right before the show so it was a very fast after two years and then all of a sudden at the end we had to really work to get it done and it was great working working with it because you just reviewed everything in your life you it was it's always interesting and it's still interesting to me we just did eight years I spent archiving archiving every piece of work. Wow. We, everything is its, in its own beautiful slipcase. you know uh, we have books that have thumbnails of everything that we've done. I have a commercial section for my illustration and a uh, fine art section, eight years and I've actually found homes for them. Now I'm going to try and find uh, a way for them to purchase it
0: with the sketchbooks with you know there's scans of the pages of the sketchbooks in here um, yep. in the book each drawing looks to me so perfect like there's no I never, speak. Speak. never. Yes,
1: that, they, that is how it came out and wow. that's how it is in fact uh char was looking at some instagram comments on my work and one person one guy said what did he say exactly? Your line crushes my head. Crushes my skull. Crushes my skull. He goes, your line crushes my skull. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, hmm, interesting, you know, because it's just so, uh, it's, that's what it is. Definitely, yeah. And I don't think about it when I do it. I just, it's very direct and very precise and that's it. And I go on to the next page. Wow on to the next page somebody once asked me how long does it take you to do this
0: my answer 50 years
1: yeah because when i looked
0: at the sketchbook pages to me they look like finished drawings that have had sketchbook sketches before them you yeah. know they are finished drawings and they didn't
1: have any sketches wow. before them but they are finished drawings and i call them my sketchbooks because they're my sketchbooks mm-hmm. and that's where i get all my ideas from mm-hmm. as that's where the paintings come mm-hmm. from anything that I do I go to my sketchbooks just like I went to that pile of drawings when I started illustration I always use my own work for inspiration we're doing a little book now and we're going to have one painting on w- one page and then maybe a the little sketch that it came from in black and white on the other page so at least we have uh you could see where it came from
0: mm-hmm. wonderful
1: but I, I don't really know too many artists that work the way I work. Maybe Keith Haring, but his work all looks the same. Yeah. This is what I mean about people's work that looks the same. Uh, you know, who knows he died very young, but if it would have been different, but most artists all work and they're good. And I'm not saying anything about their their quality of work, but most, they have a style that is very recognizable and they do the same thing over and over again. You could kill me. I couldn't do the same thing over and over again. So that's, I just change all the time. But I do, I, when I do do my work, I do a bunch of work. Like this is, this is a bunch mm. of work. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I'll do a bunch of work. But then as soon as I stop doing this, I'm onto something else and then it'll be completely different from that, but it still look like I did it.
0: What are you thinking of doing neck, moving on to next now that you've done after this show? Do you have any ideas?
1: I'm 81 years old. Yeah. I
0: don't know. <laughs> it seems like you've got a lot of energy. And
1: oh, I do. Inspiration. I do. I can salsa dance with the best of them, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I doesn't matter to me. I, I know I'm going to be doing something, but I don't know what it'll be. I never think ahead of what I'm going to be doing. I'm, I just want to pay attention to the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm with you now, Laura. I'm with you. I never long for the past. Mm-hmm. I look to the future. I, there's nothing that I regret. So I don't long, you know, it's, there's nothing that I didn't do that, that I wanted to do. I've done everything that pretty much that I've ever wanted to do. So everything is always a new thing. I mean, COVID has certainly done this to us. (laughs) So you would have been here seeing all the stuff Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for COVID. How did you
0: weather the last year?
1: I I think artists and writers and people who are creative just deal with it. And it, it wasn't a hardship. I didn't feel it. I don't feel it. I mean, yes, I can't go to a restaurant, so big deal. Or I can't do whatever. I mean, I would like to see some of my friends. It would be nice. Uh, but it, it's what it is, you know. And it's going to last for another two years. So I'll be about 83 when I can go out again. <laughs> so,
0: okay. How old are you? Uh, 36.
1: 36. I had a, that's what I thought. 35, I thought. Okay, she's 35.
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely have noticed that compared to some of my other friends, I took it up it, this was much easier for me than, you know, I think like you said for writers, for artists, yeah, for yeah. people who have so much creative work we're doing, it's yeah. not been yeah, hard. It's not a
1: problem. You know, you I'm sure you didn't feel I mean, yes, socially probably because you're young, but that being creative is a good thing.
0: And you said you got married at 40, right? One. 41. There's a picture of you guys when you were teenagers, right? There is. There
1: is. -hmm. 16, when I was 16. I know. It took only two months too. and I was really in love with him when I was 16, and I was thinking to myself, I remember thinking, he lived in the same apartment complex and yeah. he's too much younger than me. So that I, I didn't really have any interest in him in the very, very beginning because he was too much younger than me. When you're 16, you don't want to go out with somebody who's or you know eighteen, you want to go out with somebody who's eighteen. It didn't matter who they were. 18, I'll go out with you. It's <laughs> crazy. So but that's how dating was then, you know. We were in Miami Beach, but my Father thought maybe we'll move to Miami Beach because we had some relatives that were living there. And I didn't want to move at all. But then I met him and I still didn't want to move. But I was really, you know, we had a lot in common. And we got along really well. I remember thinking to myself, if I were 21, I would even consider marrying you. I, I said that to him. But I don't even want to get married. And I was like, even considering it, like, I didn't even know why I was even considering I'm 16 years old and and I didn't want to get married. So it, it was, we had a strong bond together and there aren't that many people that I have a strong bond with like that. And then I, when I was about 36, I decided not to go out with anybody or no 30. When I was 31, I decided to kind of like be, celibate not go out with anybody just don't date don't do anything and just be by myself because I felt like I really needed to be by myself my both parents had passed away and I didn't have any pressure of, you know not that they ever gave me pressure because they didn't but you know you know that your father wants you to get married so just like okay now I can just kind of relax and not I, I think I really need the time to be myself. This is before really the women's movement just, just starting. Ms. Magazine came out in 1972. And everybody thought that there would be three issues and that was it. You know, or every man that I know thought that Ms. Magazine, 40 years later, it's still being published. It's gonna be three issues. And what what else are they gonna talk about besides throwing out the garbage? I That was one comment. <laughs> You know, 40 years later, there's many things to talk about. And that's the reason why there is a Ms. Magazine, just from that comment. I totally didn't understand who women were. And and, And that was a good guy. So, you know, we're not even talking about, like, the real real people out there. I just decided I just didn't want to go out. And I was very, very, very happy being by myself. After about like maybe three or four years of this, um, I thought, you know, the only person that I ever really uh, felt that that was, I thought that I could marry would have been Jules. I still didn't see him. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. You know, I was 16 then. He's the only person that I really thought that we could really get along together with. Because every guy that I ever went with was sort of kind of very jealous because I didn't want to get married. And I said that I didn't want to get married. But of course, if you don't want to get married, everybody wants to marry you. So it's just like crazy. And even that I thought was crazy. That would even be a bigger reason not to get married. Because I you can't have me. Is that why? You know? Wrong, wrong. But he was the only person that I felt comfortable in that way. And I had no idea where he was. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know, you know, we completely lost touch. And one day he calls me out of the blue. And that was crazy. That was like, oh my God, <laughs> I was been thinking about you for the last two years, wondering where you were. And he was having a lot of problems, whatever, you know, like the, like there's Apex and there's Nadar and Nadar is the lowest point you can get. He was below Nadar, oh. <laughs> you know, he was, you know, his wife was leaving him as, uh, it was just, you know, he had, he inherited the kids and it was just like a really hard time for him in a lot of ways. And it was like really interesting to kind of meet him again in the worst possible scenario and it was after about nine months we talked on the phone three times something like that and then finally I met him because he lived in Philadelphia and and I thought oh you know I I liked him I thought he was nice I, I wasn't attracted to him or anything it was like it was just nice to be with somebody who was an old friend so to speak and then the next weekend I said I want you to bring your kids I want to meet them and then I said the next weekend I want you to bring your wife who he was still living with I want to meet her too I wanted to meet the whole family to see where everybody was in the life there and that was interesting uh you know there was a lot of you know, women were going through a hard time because it was the beginning of the women's movement. I got married at seventeen. How did I get married at seventeen and have kids? You know, mm-hmm. it was that would have been me. She's was only two months, two years younger than me. That would have been me too if I would have gotten married. I wouldn't have wanted to be married, and I wouldn't want to have been tied down. So that that whole what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. And you shouldn't find out who you are, so I was pretty much the only person in this little pod of family who knew what they wanted and knew who they were and was very grounded and so you know, I sort of helped the whole family along uh and my Jules didn't go out with any women i mean he got married at nineteen or twenty and had kids right away. <coughs> So he never went out as a single man. And I said, you know, I, you need to go out as a single man with other women. You just can't go out with me. I mean, I like you. But... And so I made him go out with other women because I didn't want to go out with a virgin, you know, actually. You know, he would have been, uh, you, you know, somebody who didn't have experience really going out with other women. Mm-hmm. Except when he was married, he went out, you know but that's a lot of guys did that, but that's not going out to me. You have to go out as a single man. So he did for about two years. And then finally, after about two years, uh, we, you know, we decided that we were going to be together and, and we were lived together for a year. And then the girls were now, one of them was going to go to college and the other one's going to go to high school. And so they started college and high school and came to live with us. And, uh, And then we sort of started living together in that way. but And then we didn't get married till five years later. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the only reason that we got married, because I still didn't want to get married, is that Leah, who was the youngest one, she was 11 when I met her, and now she's 16. She went to him and said, when are you going to marry Barbara? I I, I didn't even know she did this. And he said, why? because Jules knew I didn't really want to get married. She said, because if anything ever happened to you, I don't want to live with my stepmom. I don't want to live with my dad's girlfriend. I want to live with my stepmom. And he told me that. And I thought, you know, okay. That's a reason to get married. And then we got married. That's 41
0: years ago. Amazing. How How did you like once you sort of came together with his kids and everyone living together, how was it balancing your sort of the family life and work? I
1: never had a problem with that. It just, I do my work and I do my, that's another thing. He he had no, most of the men that I went out with, um, even if they were artists, I don't know, it was not competition exactly, but, expected something different from their girlfriend. He was, he just, we just be together. You know, I, there's no restriction in our relationship and that's a very freeing thing. So I, I, he can do whatever he wants. I do whatever I want if we come together and that, you know, it's just really, it's a very nice relationship. And that's how we were when we were 16. So we're back to when we were 16, just like a normal. And I was always wondering, I said, why can't relationships with men be normal? Like, just like, you just do what you do and you do what you do. And we come together when we want to do something together. And there's no like jealousy and, you know, you don't love me and you don't, all all this doubt, all Mm -hmm. this doubt that people have just, Be, 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 whatever it is. It's not about going out with people. It's just about being who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to go out with people, go out with people. I don't care. You know, I'll do what I want to do. You know, I'll make my own decisions then. But you just do what you want to do. I don't want to stop you from doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I want the same freedom, you know. But of course we don't go out with other people because we love each other. <laughs> so it's not even a question, but it's, it, and it's not even trust anymore. It's just like, we just love each other. We prefer to be with each other, mm-hmm. not with somebody else. And, you know, I'm, I feel very lucky to have that because it's very rare. I don't think it's easy because most people don't know how to do that.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like a a relationship to aspire to, you know. I I
1: wish everybody had it, really. I wish it for you. I wish it for you. I wish it for everyone because you know why? We wouldn't have wars then. (laughs) If that was the relationship that people had with each other, we wouldn't have wars and people wouldn't be fighting all the time. I don't want to go out with a guy who's going to be fighting with me. I don't want that. It's not my idea of life. I want to enjoy my life. It sounds like you have enjoyed your life. I am. <laughs> I'm enjoying my life. I love Wonderful. my life. I'm, like that. I'm very thankful for what I've been given. Mm-hmm. I'm very appreciative and very grateful for everything, and very acknowledging it all the time, and very present in that, uh, that acknowledgement that I'm lucky. And whatever it is, I'm lucky to just have whatever I have. Always be grateful because that's what you have. And you don't want something that you can't have because that's never going to make you happy. And even if you get the thing that you think you want, it's not going to make you happy. (laughs) You have to be happy here first. Otherwise, it's just never going to happen.
0: Do you have any other advice you would give to, say, a student or anybody else, young artists? Pardon me? Do you have any other advice that you would give to, say, a young artist or student? Be
1: yourself. Be yourself. Who are you? Find out who you are. Be yourself. Don't be somebody else because that person's taken. (laughs) So you have to find out who you are. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to be me. I'm taken. I'm me already. Nobody can be you either. (laughs) You're You're taken. We're all taken. Be yourself. But that's the hard part, finding yeah. out who you are. And that's, that's your job. That's your job in life, finding out who you are, finding out what you really want to do, what you, who you are, what you're really thinking, what you really want to be. What satisfies you? What are you grateful for? What blessings do you have? Count them. There are many, and people don't see them. They're right in front of their nose, and they don't see what they have in front of them. They want something else that they can't have. And that is not a way to have fun. That is not a way that you will will enjoy your life and that you will find your own self to think, to go outside of yourself and want something that somebody else has because that is not going to be a good life for anyone who is in that position.
0: What are you most proud of? Living, that
1: I'm still living. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have something I'm most proud of I just am glad to be me I'm, I appreciate being me
0: Wonderful We covered so much It was fun Thank you so much You're
1: very welcome
0: Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Barbara Nessem. An exhibition of her work is up at Mallin Gallery in New York until June 15th Go! It's amazing I also highly recommend getting a copy of Barbara Nessim An Artful Life the companion book to her 2013 museum retrospective Please head to our new website to see images from throughout her career, some video clips of her projects, as well as a short article. See you next week.